0: The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year by year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor will you nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my law in their laws in my in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts will remember what well, I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. may be seated. Thank you, Carrie. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's word? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pause and still our hearts before this passage of your word that you've told us is alive, it has power, it is the instrument that you use to change us, it, it brings to life, it brings the dead to life, and uh, Lord, we need that this morning because our hearts grow cold. We drift away from you, we run after other things, we get distracted by the things of this world, we so easily begin to rely upon ourselves, Lord would you bring us back to the riches and power of the gospel, so that we would be changed and so that we would come near to the Father, in Christ's name we pray, amen. So here's a question to get us started, kids. Uh, this morning, uh, do you, are there ever people in your life you just love to be with? People that you're close to, people you love to hang out with, people that whenever you're with them, you're like, ah, man, I just can't get enough here. Are there people like that in your life? And who is it? Who do you love to be near?
2: Crickets here. That's a first.
1: Okay, thank you, LG. Your parents and your siblings. Can you come hang out with my kids for a week? I need some of that to spread. Yes, very good. Yes. Thank you, LG. Anybody else? So I thought I was going to hear like best friends. Come on. Yeah, Levi. What what is it, friends? Yeah, okay, thank you. We gotta wake up here, guys. Yes, thank you, friends. Like life is so much about relationships, isn't it? I mean, we all have people in our life that we just long to be with, that we long to spend time with, that we uh, that we we just want to be in their presence. We want to be near. To them we all have people like that in our life some of us have people that are no longer here and we feel like I would do anything for one hour just to be near them you know there's something about so deeply in us how we're made as human beings that we are created for relationship that's really what life is all about we are created for relationship we are made to be known by another person and also to know another person, to be intimately connected to one another as people. And is such a deep longing in all of our hearts, and we can't get away from it. No matter, you might be the biggest introvert in the world, and yet you are made for a relationship. But relationships are hard, aren't they? In this life, I feel like we're all doing this. In all of our relationships, we're saying, I, I want to be known, I want to be seen, I want you to be close. Don't come close. Yeah, right. Ever ever since Genesis 3, we talked about it last week, we are terrified of being known. We're wearing fig leaves. We are hiding. We are on the run. We are wearing masks. We are terrified of being known. And so that makes relationships so hard. And so we're always in this, this tension of wanting to be known and yet being terrified of being known. And our relationships are so often strained and broken and they don't work the way that we want them to. We don't treat sometimes the people that we love the most deeply in the ways that we long to treat one another. We envy each other. We hide from one another. So many things become a barrier. And so many of us know that reality in our life. But here's the thing that I want us to talk about today. The most fundamental relationship we are made for in our life is an intimate relationship with God. And the reality is is until we begin to experience relationship with Him, intimacy with Him, our, our relationships with other people will never flourish. They will never be healed. And that's a part of what we're going to see today. And sometimes we spend so much of our time and energy working on the horizontal, that is, relationships with other people, and we fail to see... The first and foremost place that an intimate relationship with God has in our life. And for some of us, we might hear those words put together, intimate relationship with God, and think, I know that's good religious language, but what does that even mean? That's what we're going to look at in our passage today. We're going to see in our passage how the gospel brings us into intimate relationship with God. That's what our passage shows today. So let's jump in here. We continue in our series in the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 10 now. And if you notice, we're still in that theme that we've been on for about six chapters now. The whole heart of the book of Hebrews is all about the old covenant sacrificial system. And so we're talking about the temple, we're talking about the sacrifices, we're talking about the priesthood. Now you might be someone that's new to Christianity or maybe you've been around for a while and maybe you tried at some point to read the Old, the Old Testament and you know how those, uh, those read the Bible in a year reading plans die in Leviticus. You know, you get up in Leviticus and you're like, what? I mean, blood this, blood that, blood this, blood that, all these regulations, what is that all about? But here's what we need to see, and here's what Hebrews is showing us. Unless we understand that, unless we understand what that was all about, we're never going to fully understand what Jesus has done. So it is an understanding the old covenant, understanding the sacrificial system, that we come to fully understand the significance of the gospel, the significance of what we're celebrating this week in Holy Week, the crucifixion of Jesus. But we've been looking at that, we've been looking at, this uh, the, the blood that of all these sacrifices that was required to bring about cleansing. We talked about last week about how we all need cleansing from shame. It's the human experience. But one of the things the writer of Hebrews is showing over and over. Now remember, he's writing to a people who are coming from Jewish background and converted to Jesus. They're experiencing persecution and they're thinking about going back. They're thinking about going back to Judaism, back to the sacrificial system. Man, at least then we knew what to do. At least then we were accepted by our community. At least back then, like, life kind of went well. You know, we could still have spirituality, but it didn't cost us anything. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, if you walk away from Jesus, you get nothing. Because he is everything. And all of that old covenant was just a temporary thing to point to Jesus. He says right in the verse 1 here, where he says, the law... Now, here in the context, he's referring to all the regulations of sacrifice and temple worship. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. You know, he's been on that point over and over and over. We've said that literally every week. He's saying, why would you go back? It's a shadow. It's not the real thing. It's temporary. It's a little picture. But the real thing is here. And the real thing is found in Jesus. And then he says in verse 4. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The old covenant. All these animal sacrifices were prescribed. That through the shedding of blood and the sprinkling of blood. They would be cleansed. The sacrifice was taking their place. But it was temporary. Temporary. It did not work. It was only a picture pointing to the real thing. And he says here very clearly, it's impossible for the blood of animals to take away sin. It is impossible for any other sacrifices in our life to wash us clean. It won't happen. You can do, you can you can be the most religious person in the world. You can be at every church event, you can read your Bible every day, you can try your best to keep the law, and yet it cannot wash away sin. That's what he's wanting them to see. Because it is only in Christ that we experience cleansing. Now, I think chapter 9 and chapter 10, I was telling Ashley this week, this is my phrase for this section of scripture. I think these two passages, these two chapters, I think it's a sinner's paradise. It's like a Disney world for sinners. Now, if you're not a sinner here today, this will have no bearing and no uh, electricity will run through your heart through this passage. So you might as well just go to sleep. But if you are a sinner... If you are a struggler, if you are someone who carries shame in your life, if you are someone who has sinned, not just way back in your past, but you struggle today, if you're someone who experiences shame because of things that you have done in your life, this is a paradise. It's a paradise. It's a place to just get up in there and just roll around in it. Because it is just rich with grace. Now, I've talked about before, we have to know how as a people to preach the gospel to ourselves to use it on ourselves you know here in the Bible about it's very easy to think that the gospel is kind of that basic information you got to know in order to become a Christian in order to get into heaven but then you know how you grows up to you right so we think gospel I don't I don't. I'm a believer why are you preaching the gospel to me but we are adamant we are adamant as a church About believing that the gospel is not just how you begin the Christian life. It is the power to change. Continually rediscovering the power and the grace of the gospel. It's how we change. So this is for you and for me. And to the degree that you are aware of your sin. Your need is the degree to which this truth here will electrify your heart. So I want to bring you down, I want to look at just a couple verses here, uh, in particular verses 10 through 14. Now, you know, one of the ways that we preach the gospel to ourselves is you need to know a few verses, a few passages in the Bible, where the gospel is so clear, so vivid, that you can't talk yourself out of it. If you're anything like me, whenever I'm feeling shame and guilt and I've blown it and I'm beat up and I'm terrible, how would God want anything to do with me because I feel like that a fair amount? And I'll come to a passage and I'll just read it and I'll say, you know, this can't be for me. It's for all these other people. It can't be for me. But this is one of those passages where you just can't get around it. It's just so vivid. it's, It's just so, it's so true. Especially whenever you understand the sacrificial system. So I want to encourage you to memorize these verses, at least verse 10 and verse 14. Just memorize those, okay? Just put them down into your soul so you can do battle against guilt and shame. But here, let me bring us back down into here. We're in verse 10 where he says this. I'm just going to break these down for us here. Verse 10 he says, and by that will. Now what will is he talking about here? He's talking about God's will. He's talking about God's purpose. So by God's purposes, we have been made holy. And who's the we? The we is for those who are in union with Christ. We, now look at this verb here. Now, we might not have enjoyed English class, but there's certain instances where grammar really, really helps. So I'm going to take us back into English for a minute, okay? We're going to look at the tense of a verb that means everything for us here, okay? We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. There's our verse right there. Now, the verb here is made holy. That is the verb. Now, what is the tense of the verb? In Greek, the tense is past perfect. Okay? It happens to also be the same tense, very thankfully for us, in English. (laughs) Perfect, the perfect tense means a completed action in the past that has ongoing implications in the present. Same way that the English works here, right? We have been made holy. It's completed. It's done. Now, how did that happen? It happened through the sacrifice of Jesus, as he says here, once and for all. Once you are made holy through union with Christ... By His one sacrifice, you're holy forever. It's done. It's, it's not a process. It's a definitive action. And if you are in union with Christ today, this is your standing. This is your status. It's something that has happened to you. Not something you've earned. Not something you've lived up to. It's something that's been conferred on you. It's been declared in the court of heaven by the very word of God over you. You are Holy. You've been made holy. It's already happened. It's true of you now. Well, then he com- continues to flesh this out and he goes back to compare this with the ongoing, never completed action of the old covenant and the sacrifices. What he says, verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. He's taking us back to the temple. The priest was constantly. Making sacrifices. In fact, there were no chairs in the temple. Imagine that. You come to church. There's no pews. There's no chairs. You're just standing the whole time. And he's not in a hurry. Because he's got a lot of sacrifices to perform. And so there's blood everywhere. And you're just standing there. And he's just working. You know, you're probably looking at his back. He's just working the whole time. And he didn't ever sit down. Why didn't he sit down? Because it was never finished. You know, I know this in my... I'm learning this as a husband in my house. Okay, I. whenever I would eat supper, this has been just my normal practice. You're done with supper. What do you do? The meal's finished. Will you move over to the couch? Work on that digestion, right? What I didn't see was my wife could not sit down because the work wasn't finished. What's she doing? She's washing dishes. And I was blind to that. But I'm starting to learn. Wait a minute. When I'm done eating... The work is not done. It's not time to sit down. Get up and go work on dishes. And when it's finished, then you sit down. We all know that. You don't sit down till it's finished. And the priest never sat down. Because it was never finished. It was repetitive. It was temporary. It had to keep going. You needed constant sacrifices. Because we're constantly sinning. But look at what he says here. Verse 12, but when this priest, what priest? Jesus, the great high priest, the real priest. All those earthly priests, just temporary. Just a little picture, just a little figure, just a little playman. But the real priest. When he had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. He wants us to see that over and over. He keeps saying one, one, one. That's all it takes. Because the power of his one sacrifice is, as he says here, once for all. The power of the sacrifice of Jesus is powerful enough to cover all of our sins. Past, present, future. When he had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down. That's kind of his mic drop right there, right? He's done Jesus is not making any more sacrifices. He is not working anymore on our salvation. It's complete. Verse 13. Since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Verse 14. Here we go. Because by one sacrifice. There's that one again. By one sacrifice. He has made perfect forever. Those who are being made perfect holy. Now that verse, man, when I was a new believer, I was so wrestling with my acceptance and standing before God was based on how I was doing. Can you relate to that? I still go back there too. I struggle with that. I think, you know, if I'm doing well this week, man, God's really pleased with me. But if I'm like really struggling, if I'm just blowing it, if I'm just, ah, I'm not doing well. I'm not treating the people in my life the way I want to. I'm not running to the things that give me life. I'm I'm living out of a selfish heart. When I'm living in that way, what do I most deeply, what am I most deeply tempted to feel? I'm not fully acceptable before God. I pull back. I pull away from God. You see what he's bringing us to here. And when I saw this verse, I was like, oh, my goodness, he, again, perfect tense, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Right here in this one verse, justification and sanctification set right side of each other. Now, what are we talking about here? These big words, using big words. Those are theological terms, but they're biblical terms. You need to understand them. Justification is the act. It's a momentary act of God. Whereby he declares us righteous in his sight. He declares us righteous. We get a new standing, a new status. So that God looks upon us in a moment when we are united to Jesus. When we trust in him. He looks upon us and he says you are perfect in my sight forever. On the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. He declares sinners to be righteous. If you're in union with Christ today. You are a sinner. Believe it or not. Probably believe it. And at the same time. You are righteous. In the sight of a holy God. That's an amazing reality. That is so helpful for the Christian life. You know. The the Protestant Reformation was ignited. By this very concept. And. Martin Luther had a term. It was a Latin term to kind of describe this. And it was. Simul ustus et peccator. What does that mean? It means simultaneously righteous and sinner. What an amazing reality. That explains so much of my life. I continue to sin. I'm going to sin today. I've already sinned today. I'll sin more today. You will too. And yet, in spite of what's true of our hearts and our lives, we are declared righteous, perfect. You're perfect before him, before his eyes. When he sees you, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. And yet, he is at work in us, actually making us holy. That's sanctification. Sanctification is the process whereby God is making us holy. That is a process that begins when we come to Christ and will not be completed until we meet him again. You are in process. You are unfinished. And it is not your work. We don't make ourselves holy. He makes us holy. That's so freeing. That is so freeing. We participate, but he is the one who changes us. Do you see how those set right... Right next to each other. Now the key to the Christian life. Is that our sanctification must flow from our justification. And most of the struggles that we have in the Christian life. Is we get those reversed. We base our justification on our sanctification. That was my problem. Continues to be my problem. But you if you're in Christ. You're perfect before his eyes. Yes. Even as you still sin. Even as you're in process. God says. You're already there. You're already accepted. I look upon you. You're righteous before me. As if we were as perfect as his son. That is the gospel. That is the basis of our acceptance before God. In spite of all of our sin. Now here's the question. What do we do with this? How do we apply this to our life? And you know I have told you before. The writer of Hebrews He's good at application. He's a good preacher. So he's constantly going and rooting us in amazing doctrine. And he's saying, here's what you do with it in your life. That's where he goes in verse 19 here. And this is one of the key places in the Bible. I mean, in this book where he drives home application. But before even he gets to the application, he starts with summarizing the whole six chapters that we've been through. Look at what he says in verse 19. Therefore, now what do you... Well, when you see therefore, what should you ask? What is the therefore, therefore? What's come before it? All six chapters before. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, that's what he's been talking about ever since chapter four. Because of the blood of Jesus, we can do the unthinkable, we can actually come into. The most holy place. And not the earthly one. You remember the earthly temple. The most holy place was someone no one one could go. It was separated by a curtain. If you were to come into the most holy place. You would be killed instantly. Just by the sheer holiness of God. The only time anyone could come into the most holy place. Was the high priest and one day of the year. The day of atonement. Where he would come in with blood of, of a sacrifice. So that was a constant reminder that the holy presence of God is dangerous. You cannot enter. But the argument he's been making is because the blood of Jesus, the way has been opened. We can actually come with confidence. Unthinkable to an old covenant Christian. You come into the temple trembling with fear. Trembling. And yet he says here, We can actually come into the most holy place, the very presence of God, with confidence, with boldness. Not because of anything in us, but because of the finished work of Christ. Verse 20, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body. Remember, whenever Jesus uh, gave up his spirit and he died on the cross, do you remember what happened? All of the gospel accounts give us this picture. That the, temple and the, curtain, uh, in the, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. It was torn as a tremendous picture of the opening of the way into the very presence of God. But here the curtain, he tells us, is not an actual physical curtain. It's the body of Jesus. He is the way, and it's the living way, not a dead sacrifice, a living Savior. He is the way into the presence of the Father. Very popular in our pluralistic culture to say there's many ways to God. That's a lie. There is but one way into the holy presence of God. And it is the living way. Jesus himself by his body. Verse 21. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. We talked about this. Jesus is the priest who sympathizes with us. He intercedes for us with his very own blood. So you see what he's done here is he's just taken us back. Through all of those incredible truths of what Jesus has done. And he's saying, since this is true, here's the application. So what do you think we ought to do with that? What's the point of all of that? How do we apply that in our life? Verse 22. Let us draw near to God. That's the point. You want to know the point of the gospel? The point is that you might come near an intimate relationship with the Father. That's the whole goal. That finally, He can dwell with us. So that we can experience His love, His nearness. Because listen, that is life. That is life. The whole point is that we would come and enjoy intimacy with Him. Enjoy relationship with him. Experience his love. Experience his cleansing in our life. That we would know him. You know what one of the biggest barriers to this is? Because we talked about, I mean this, he says the same thing back in chapter 4 and we talked about this same thing in the sermon. So he's repeating it here. We talked about it back then and I asked the question, why do we not do this? Man, the way is open. Why don't we draw near? Why don't we do this? Here's the biggest barrier. Here's one of the biggest barriers. I think for most of us, God is useful to us. Here's what I mean by that. We primarily think that God exists to give us things. Now, you might not think that. You might say, gosh, I'd never say that out loud. But but most often, The default in our hearts is that we go to God to get things from God. That's primarily the basis. I mean, think about our prayers. Are your prayers primarily being with God and gazing at his glory? Or is it asking for things? Let me just say it's good to ask God for things. He commands us to ask for things. He wants us to ask for things. He wants us to need him. He wants us to bring all of our needs to him. He says it over and over and over. He's our father. But the problem is, that's like the totality of our relationship with him. We think he's there to give us things. He's useful to us. So often we, we do things for God in order to get things from God. You know, we go to church, we're spiritual, we, we read our Bible, we do the things we're supposed to do, we do our duty. That's our part, and then he's supposed to come through and do his duty. In his part, which is to make our life work. And for so many of us, we're probably at a place in our life whenever our circumstances are hard and they've not changed. And we've brought them to God and we're saying, wait a minute, where are you? You're not holding up your end of the bargain. Some of us are angry at God. Some of us have just shut our hearts down to God. Because we're like, you're not coming through. And I'm not sure that you're there. Because our whole idea is that God is there to give us things. But listen, God's got a whole different agenda for our lives. You know what his agenda is? That we would know him. That's his agenda. Because that's life. That's what he wants in our lives. So all the, those circumstances in your life that are incredibly painful and you're like, what do I do with this? And where are you, God? I can tell you all the things that we walk through in our life serve the purpose of bringing us into a deeper intimate knowledge of the living god that we would know him that we would draw near to him and so so often in our life we're running after the things that god has made we want his hand not his face you know we get so enamored with the created things we get so enamored with you know we started by talking about relationships with other people we chase after those. We want the approval of people. We, we want rest in this life. We think that a vacation or Netflix or this escape or that escape is going to give us rest and peace in our heart. We're chasing after all these things for identity. You know, if I look a certain way, if, I, if my figure looks a certain way, if I have certain relationships or friends, if I'm in a certain crowd, then I'll have meaning and identity. You see, we're searching for in. For these things that only God can give, we search for them in created things. And it does not deliver. When in reality, God alone can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. He is the one where we find rest in relationship with Him, knowing Him, intimacy with Him. It is in Him that we find a love. That cannot be satisfied in any human relationship. I mean, Some of us long to be married. And marriage is a great thing. But I'll tell you right now. If you are looking for marriage to satisfy your soul. You're in for a lot of pain. And most of us who have been married have been there. You will be disappointed. Promise. But he is the only one. That if your desire is to know Him, you'll never be disappointed. If your desire is to experience intimacy with Him, to know His love, you'll not be disappointed. I think for most of us, we can't even imagine He's that good. For many of us, we've interpreted the pain in our life to believe that God is not good. That He cannot be trusted. We're afraid to trust Him. But the reality is, He is good. His heart is good to us. He wants to give us good things. He wants us to give, to give us the best thing. Which is himself. So what's the application here? Here's your homework. Go and draw, draw near to God. That's it. Just simply that. I want you to try that this week. I want you to just go draw near to God. I, I'd love for you to try today. See if you can't. Get home, maybe after lunch, maybe sometime this afternoon. I know we got, we're so busy, we've got so much stuff. Cancel something. Go get alone with God. Go get alone where it's quiet. Some of us are just, that's a first step for some of us. We're not anywhere where we're not stimulated or, or, or hearing noise. Go get alone with God. And just ask Him this. God, I want to know you. Reveal yourself to me and just sit with him. Just don't talk. Just see if you can get in touch with his heart and his love. Use this passage. (laughs) What does he say here when he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. What is a sincere heart? It's an open heart. Right? It's a heart that comes and is like, I really, I want to know you. And here's my fears and here's my sins and here's who I am and... And just, here it is. I'm vulnerable before you, but I want to know you. That's a sincere heart. It's an open heart. But draw near in full assurance of faith. Like, you can go be with God. Some of us are terrified of being with God. But see, you can go be with Him because you can have full assurance because of the finished work of Christ. You can come. You can be assured that when you come near to Him His heart is filled with delight. He wants to wrap you in his arms. You might think, wait, how do we know that? You know, he's too big. Because of the gospel. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. I can have assurance. And when we draw near to God, he sprinkles us. He cleanses that shame. He covers us. He washes us. You only experience that with him. So that's your homework. Go go draw near to God. Go be with him. Go get alone with him. See what happens and share it with somebody. And then go do it again. Okay. Let me stop there and give us a few minutes to discuss together. So if you're visiting here we do this each week we stop at the end of the sermon to discuss the passage and just to hear from each other how does this impact you? This longing of God for you to come into an intimate knowledge and relationship with him. Hey, when you were talking about him standing, the priest standing. And could the, you could you pull that down for a second? You're thanks. talking about
3: the priest standing and then Jesus sitting. Yes. I almost went Pentecostal. I mean, I almost ran. You, you should have. Well, my foot fell asleep, so I, I, couldn't, yes. I couldn't do the run I wanted to do. But man, they fired me up Just, I'll let you
1: know that. Yes. Yeah. By the way, listen, we got to get louder in here in worship. I mean, we got, seriously. I mean, we're Presbyterians, but we're not dead, okay? Say something. Yes. Amen. I might get worked up, I might go Pentecostal. Anybody else? Carrie.
0: Um, I, this really hits home for me this week because something happened this past week that just feels like, God, you're not pulling through. Mm. Like you just are not pulling through for me. And so I think it's a really good reminder that his ultimate goal, even the good things in my life are not his ultimate goal. You know, from my perspective, I'm thinking this is ruining something Something is ruined that's very important for your kingdom. And, f- you know, like we were going to go do something really good for you, God. Yeah. Why isn't it working the way that it was supposed to work? Yes. Um, why is something getting in the way? Why aren't you moving mountains for us here? Yes. Um, and so I think it's good for me to re- just to remember it and to hear, like, oh, his ultimate purpose mm-hmm. is that I can draw near to him yes and every other person impacted can draw near to him and just because it's not in the way that I thought it was going to be yeah. doesn't mean that it's not going to happen yes so I think it's just a really um timely reminder for mm-hmm. me and challenging but yes yeah, thank you
1: thank you for sharing Carrie
0: Um, I actually had written down when you were saying we're we've been made holy, it's the past uh perfect, and I wrote, but I don't feel holy yes. um and mm-hmm. so then, when you started talking about how that then makes us like the feelings of shame and all yeah. of that drives a wedge even between, and we'd like turn away because we think that we have to be, or i you know I think I have to make myself better before yeah. I can go before God, um it just was really powerful to think that he just wants me to come um, and just be there and because that's not how you know that's not how it feels so often Um, yeah so just that idea of like wow he actually wants me Mm. he's already done it from his perspective it's done even though I don't feel like it's done I feel like I need to add to it Um, yeah was really powerful
1: yes thank you for sharing that what a great phrase I wonder how many of us felt that hearing I've been made holy but I don't feel that I, I very often feel I very often feel shame or guilt or I've failed or just like how can I approach God? How could He love me like this? And there's often a gap between those two, right? Which is why being able to preach the truth of the gospel to our hearts is so critical. Thank you for sharing.
2: I think one of the things I struggle with and I've seen in other People discussing is that we bounce between two uh, things of either our, our sin is not a big deal or that it hasn't been paid. Uh huh. Yeah. And it, it's interesting in terms of the sacrificial system, and they had to go and they had to watch all of that blood. Mm-hmm. And they brought the sacrifice, mm-hmm. and, and in some ways, the sacrifice was tied to maybe what kind of sin they had committed or, you know, things of that nature, but they had this tangible witness in front of them, and at the same time, you know, that wasn't complete. That couldn't wash away their sin. Yeah. But that being able to embrace at the same time that our sin is a really big deal, but that it's also been paid. Yes. Um, I, I think a lot of... I, I'm bouncing back and forth between those two, which without both, it, it's difficult to draw near to God. Yes, and that you know, to to look at both the seriousness of it, but that it has in fact been paid, but not yes. by what you know yeah. we do.
1: That's so good, John. You know, it's all of us are either the older brother or you're the younger brother in our primary orientation to God, and I'm I'm referring to the parable of the two sons, where the younger brother is the one that. Runs off and squanders himself in wild living. So his sin is very obvious. His shame is very obvious. The older brother is very dutiful. You know, he never leaves. He's always doing his duty for the father. You know, in that story, the younger son is the one who comes into the party and experiences the grace and embrace of the father. The old one refuses to because his sin is hidden. Now, for some of us, and this is, I tend to be more the younger Brother, that's why I'm always, well, this is just my focus in preaching because it's kind of who I am. I am always feel like I'm coming from the far country. There's others of us who are like the older brother. And it's really hard to believe I really need that. And so you are exactly right that the sacrifice worked in both ways. For one, it was like, oh, I'm cleansed. For the other is... Unless that dies, i got to die. That's my sin. And so it works in both directions. That's, that's really good. That's a whole nother sermon right there.
3: Yeah, I, uh, along with what John was saying, um, reading on a little bit past the passage this morning, um, you know, it gets into um, really kind of insulting the spirit of grace. But right there is talking about trampling on the Son of God, um, And regarding that as a common thing, just in the context of what we've talked about this morning, it's so easy for us to think about the blood of Christ as a common thing. It is common to us in our knowledge. It's common to us in our conversations. But it is anything but common. Yeah. And that's, it really stood out to me this morning that what is being offered is not those common things which could not do anything. It is uncommon. Yeah. And I think that's a great challenge for my own heart. Yeah. To continually see that I'm insulting the spirit of grace when I do not give the power due to the blood of Christ. Yes. As something that is uncommon. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's our next sermon, Corey. Anybody else? Okay, so you got your homework. And I'm going to check your homework next week, Okay might even check it this week, so don't put it off. Okay, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, um, what a treasure the gospel is. How deeply we need it. Lord, we need it so greatly that so often we don't even think we need it. Lord, I pray that no matter where we're at today... That the beauty of the gospel would just woo our hearts to you. That no matter where we're at. No matter how far away we feel. No matter how bad we feel we've blown it. No matter maybe even how cold and hard our hearts might be today. That we're very convinced other people need it. No matter where we are. I pray that today we would draw near to you. And we would experience your nearness and your embrace. Because Lord that's life.